All right. So today's podcast episode is our top 10 favorite, most affordable health hacks. And what I love about this list is there's a lot of really cool stuff out there going on in biohacking, just being able to improve your health overall. But I feel like with these, these are like your foundation stuff. So like once I feel like you've do that, all these tips or use a majority of them. I mean, there's a lot of your bases that I feel like are covered. What do you think? Yeah. These are, these are your foundation. So they're your go-to. Um, there's some of the most effective Yeah, and there's some of the most cost effective. Oh yeah. So you kind of get a, a, a triple whammy there. You can't go wrong. Yeah. You know, some of these, uh, the technologies today, um, have become so incredibly complex, which is fascinating and they work, et cetera. But um, they cost a lot of money yeah. in some instances. And so they may be prohibitive to some. Um, this way, we're going to cover well, a few of them are free. Yeah. So, <laughs> and have been around for since the beginning of time, mm -hmm. you know, millions of years or however far back you want to go. Um, and they're still effective. So exactly. they're pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. So number 10 on this list is fasting. So Pete, what do you love about fasting? Well, this is actually a... a, a complex subject. And what I mean by that, not complex in terms of it's hard to understand, but complex in terms of there's just huge amounts of awesome data and research on it. It works. It's effective. It does so many wonderful things in the body from um, helping to begin the process of cellular, cellular senescence, um, leading into autophagy or cell death. So it, just think of that as it, it cleans out the debris. All of our cells have a, have a cell life and fasting will help to clean out the debris, take out the garbage, so to speak, is the easiest way to explain it. Um, there, of course, fasting has been around in religion for thousands of years. So it's, again, not new to us. Um, our ancestors went through periods of famine and then through periods of feasting. So again, it's not new to the human biology. Um, it's good for helping to boost the immune system. It's good for improving the health of the metabolic system. Um, it just goes on and on. Some of the best books that we can recommend um, or in terms of learning a little bit about fasting, I would start with uh, Walter Longo's book, The Longevity Diet. Um, uh, Dr. David Sinclair in his book, Lifespan, these are all uh, Dave Asprey from uh, the company Bulletproof in his latest book. Oh boy, I forgot the name. Sorry, Fast Dave. This Way. Fast This Way um, is just really, really tremendous information and data in there about fasting. So in your opinion, what is the most sustainable way that someone who has never fasted before can fast? So the, the most sustainable way is kind of hard to answer because everyone's different. Um, so it's what's most sustainable for the individual. And the only way to know that is to experiment. So I'll give you a couple of examples. Yeah. And then you have to play around with them, so to speak. Um, so start with the easiest one, I guess, would be 12-12. And what that simply means is out of a 24-hour day, you are fasting for 12 hours and then consuming all of your calories within a 12-hour window. That's the easiest one, so to speak. 
Um, the next one after that would be 16.8, where you do the same thing. So let's say if I finish dinner at eight o'clock at night, I don't eat until 12 noon the next day. So eight to eight is 12 hours plus the other four, 16. So I fast for 16 hours and then consume all of my calories within an eight hour window. And then it goes beyond that. Then you get into um, you know, a 24 hour fast. Um, and then there are, um, well, sorry, let me go back a step. Th that All of that is called intermittent fasting. Um, and it's very sustainable. Um, there is alternate day fasting where I just think, you know, Monday, Wednesday, uh, Friday, I fast and Tuesday, Thursday, I eat. So it's alternate day. So there's many different types um, of fasting and they all have similar, but somewhat different benefits. Um, and you just kind of, certainly for a beginner, I, I wouldn't start at 24 hours, you know, and I wouldn't do a multi-day fast, meaning 48 hour fast, right? Where I fast for two hours. If you're a beginner, start slow, like everything else um, and read, study a little bit on the subject um, and go from there. Okay. I've a uh, loaded question, but I know this is something that's Good, probably relevant to a lot of people. Um, for people who right now want to lose weight, um, there's, is there, a, and some of these people, you know, ideally they're like, oh, I'd want to lose weight and I'd want to be able to gain muscle. So is there a minimum effective dose? Yeah. For I, yes. The answer is absolutely. And that, that, that's a good question. And it, again, it falls back to just start at 1212. Okay. Um, the minimum effective dose has been proven and it's in the longevity diet, Walter Longo's book. Um, just go to that. And he actually recommends a sort of daily living on 1212. Um, that, that's his thing. It just, he just thinks it's easier to sustain. Um, and so, yeah, just, just start there. I think everyone can eventually get to the point where they can do 1212 pretty easy. Um, and even at 1212, some of the metabolic benefits are, are phenomenal as far as glucose control. And I say metabolic benefits, I'm talking about um, sort of one thing that's really, really important. Um, and one of the major benefits, there's so many benefits to fasting, but um, it is just glucose variability. So you don't have these big, you know, ups and downs and you, you sort of keep your glucose levels uh, within a certain variability. And twelve twelve does that. So just start there. All right. So now for number nine, which is plant-based diet. Pete, why do you love a plant-based diet? Again, the research, um, pretty much from the same books that I just named, um, follow Sinclair, Rhonda Patrick, um, Walter Longo, David Sinclair, Walter Longo, Rhonda Patrick, plant-based diet. And that's very different than saying vegan. Uh, you said plant-based. We're not talking vegetarian or vegan, um, where you're never eating meat, but being plant-based could look like simply eating meat once or twice a week. So you're still eating meat. You get your red meat, which is delicious. We know we love ours and, and uh, get really excited for it. And I think that's one of the kind of the cool things either when you're not eating it every single day, 
um, then the meal of getting together and sitting down, you know, let's say on a Saturday night and having a, a nice New York strip or something, it, it becomes even more valuable, so to speak. Um, so plant-based is the majority of your plate, let's say 50% of your, if you, if you took a dinner plate, 50% of your plate is plants. And then one quarter of it is animal protein, let's say meat or fish. And then one quarter, one quarter of it is a complex carbohydrate, like a sweet potato, but it's mostly plants and that's plant-based. It's not vegan or vegetarian, nothing against vegan or vegetarian. Um, you know, there are issues with like vitamin B12 deficiency and long-term vegans. And you have to be really, really smart, um, you know, with that on how to handle it and get your blood levels checked and so forth. So you can do it. Um, it's, you know, certainly, I don't know, millions of people around the world are vegan, you know, it, it can be done, but um, plant-based is different than, than vegan. I guess that's what I'm trying to make sure we're clear on here. So why is this an important health hack? Well, the research comes primarily from the blue zones. The blue zones um, were first discovered by a guy named Dan, Dan Butner. Um, sorry if I keep going back to Walter Longo. He's just, uh, I, I guess I'm a big fan of his research. Um, but he has also studied centenarians, the people who live to 100 years of age plus. And I'm talking about healthy 100, active, vibrant, um, no, no signs of, or, or minimal, maybe signs of dementia. So these are people that still have a clear brain, they're functioning, they're getting up with purpose every morning, you know, they're going on walks, they're gardening, they're, they're still active in their community at 100 years of age plus. Well, how did they do it? And there are seven of these zones around the world, um, one in Italy, one in California, and so forth and so on, one in Greece, um, Okinawa, Japan. Anyway, what do these seven blue zones have in common? Plant-based diet. These are not carnivores. Sorry, carnivore people, carnivore diet people. The blue zones, one of the main things they have in common is plant-based diet. So that sounds good to me. I'd like to live to a very active 100 years old. I'd still be working out and gardening. Yeah. One thing that actually helped me be able to get leverage on myself to eat even more plant-based, I would say was... Look at how much you're spending on your food bill. Um, and especially if you're someone who's really used to eating a lot of meat and your food bill is going to decrease dramatically when you start substituting some of those meats for plant-based meats. Uh, so that is something that, that helped me. So that's, if that's something that is a motivator for you to start experimenting with different plant-based alternatives, I definitely suggest it. And another thing that, I know a lot of people who aren't really used to eating plant-based and are bored by eating vegetables. I don't find it very exciting. I encourage you to check out your local farmer's market or take a trip oh, to a yeah. farmer's market yeah. because your mind is going to be blown away when you see the diversity of vegetables that are you know, in the ecosystem Amazing. and of options that you can eat. They're going to taste so much more fresh. They're going to taste much different than they would if you were to get them at 
a supermarket where it's gone on a plane and it's, you know, been packaged. The color, the taste, yeah. the nutrient content, even if you're getting organic out of your supermarket, farmer's market is still superior. It's yeah. just completely different. It is. So I think that's the best place to start really experimenting with different vegetables and finding different kinds of vegetables that you like. Um, there's no real like right or wrong, you know, vegetable choice. <laughs> Yeah, you find what you like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so one other thing on that, so the 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 term ancestral living, along with plant based, has kind of made its way into like the biohacking and and health and wellness community. And I think that that's important also because when I thought about it, my grandparents on my mother's side, being of Italian descent, that I, I grew up with, they were in the same house as me growing up. And of course, as a kid, I didn't pay attention to it. I didn't know any better. But when I really, as an adult, have spent the time thinking about the way that I saw my grandparents eat, um, which was basically Italian peasant food, that's primarily what they ate. Um, I remember one of the main dishes was a bowl of escarol with beans. And it was escarol and, escarol and beans. That's you know what it was called. Uh, with a piece of homemade bread and a little and a little tiny glass of homemade red wine. And like that was that was a meal. And that was kind of like a, a regular thing. That's how they ate. And they lived to a well into their 90s. Now on to number eight, which is sleep. This is definitely our favorite oh, uh, topic, I would say. Uh, so why <laughs> is sleep one of your favorite health hacks? Well, again, I always like to start off with um, to say like, this isn't Team Apollon's or Pete and Jill's research, right? We're just kind of reiterating and to everybody stuff that we've taken and that we've learned. So- And applied. And applied, 100% applied, <laughs> um, especially in this area. Um, so the book um, by- Matthew Walker, Matthew Walker, Why We Sleep. Why We Sleep. Start there, everyone. When you read that book, you will uh, almost be scared into sleeping better. <laughs> Would you put it that way? Yes. Um, it's a eye opener. You I mean, sleep again, um, like fasting has been around since day one of Homo sapiens. Like go back millions of years, every animal on the planet, um, including us humans, we sleep, we need to sleep. We actually don't know why yet, believe it or not, according to, to Walker, um, but we know we need it. It's a, it's a necessary thing. And again, like fasting, so to speak, I think the two go hand in hand, actually. You know, fasting actually helps improve sleep, another benefit. Um, so the benefits of sleep are endless immune support, recovery, muscle tissue repair, repair brain repair. I mean, it just goes on and on and on and on. Um, and we also know that the majority of America, I forget the exact percentage or majority of the world for that matter. Um, again, I forget the exact percentages, but we're mostly sleep deprived today. And we're mostly sleep deprived because of, you know, indoor lights, especially LEDs, devices, our Apple iPhones, our iPads and computers and televisions in the bedroom and high stress levels in metropolitan areas. And that list goes on and on. So focusing on sleep, which is free, <laughs> as we said, cost effective. Um, boy, that's 
what, what, what number was sleep? You need eight plus hours of sleep. No, no, no. I mean, what number night. on our board? Was oh, it? it's number eight. Oh, oh it's, right. it's number eight. It should have been number one. It really okay. is. <laughs> so in terms of priority, like whenever we start working with someone, the first question we always ask is how many hours of sleep are you getting on average a night? And that's because it really is the number one determinant of whether it is you want to improve your body composition, you just want to actually be healthier, any Maybe you want to improve your mood. It, all roads lead back to how much sleep yeah. it is that you are getting. You can't do all of the things that you just named on five or six hours of sleep. You, no. You, it, it's impossible, um, including that it alone, that it being the lack of sleep, raises your inflammatory or in, inflammation markers in the body. So mm -hmm. you got to sleep. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I definitely want to reiterate what, Pete said, check out Matthew Walker's book, Why We Sleep. Um, and you're just going to be blown away by the research from, you know, links to dementia, to links of type two diabetes, to links of depression, um, you low, know, low testosterone, um, you know, obviously if you're, you're an athlete or you just like to work out all those gains that you spend in the gym, you're not going to get as much back from what all that time that you spend. So yeah, there's, there's a lot. So a couple of things on what's called sleep hygiene. Um, and simply what that means is what can you do to improve your sleep? So a couple of tips. Um, one, your room should be cool temperature. 65 degrees, 65. That's pretty cool. Um, so you want the room temperature to be low Two, the room's got to be dark get room darkening shades wear an eye mask right um three electronics lose them if you have a tv in there especially a, well i guess it's all leds today right lose the television in your room put your cell phone on airplane mode um wi-fi that's another um another thing to reduce exposure to and will help with sleep. Um, and all just all those little kind of bright lights from, from electronic devices can disrupt the circadian rhythm. The eye picks it up um, that we're supposed to see darkness at night. And that helps us to dump melatonin helps with the natural circadian rhythm. Oh, and also in the morning, make sure that you get some good blue light, but that blue light should come from the sun, not from overhead LEDs. That too will help set the circadian rhythm and help you sleep better at night. So you need dark at night and you need light first thing in the morning. All right. Number eight is exercise, ideally outdoors, but I'd say definitely at least exercise. Yeah, well, we all know the benefits of exercise. I mean, that's been well known, right? Um, and I think even those that don't exercise probably know that they should. Um, I think, though, that you touch on something interesting, like exercising outside. So what is exercise doesn't necessarily mean, look, if you're not a gym goer, like we're, we're gym goers, we love the gym, we do both, right? We exercise outdoors, indoors, we ride bikes, we run, we go to the beach, go in the water, go swimming, we just, we hike, we are physically active. But for those that aren't, you don't have to join the gym. Like literally, especially in the summertime, if you live in, a, in an area where you can get outside and you have a little plot of land, go vegetable gardening, do a flower garden. That type of manual labor 
is some of the greatest exercise that you could get. You get outdoors, you get fresh air, you get out in the sun, vitamin D, get your hands in the earth. So there's the earth's energy grounding, get a little dirty. That's some of the greatest exercise that you could get. So exercise takes on many, many forms. Find one that you like best and that you enjoy most and do that. With one caveat though, I think, I think both men and women equally need to do some sort of resistance training. And yes, you could argue like digging a hole or digging a ditch in the ground is strength training. It is, but um, we both, men and women need greater percentages of lean muscle mass and women especially, and men too, but women, especially osteoporosis and to prevent osteoporosis. And you need that, that bone dent in order to get that bone density, you got to do resistance training. And that means lifting weight. So try to find a way that, you know, even if like, I'm just using gardening as the example, if, if that's your major form of exercise, which I think is phenomenal. It's one of my favorites, but you got to pump some iron, both men and women find, you know, two times a week, 30 minutes. That's it. You don't have to go laboring for four or five times a week for an hour in the gym, you know, but if you can go two times, 30 minutes, high intensity, get hypoxic, get a little out of breath, strain, you have to suffer a little bit um, in order for it to be effective, like make it burn a little bit and then get out. But two times a week, 30 minutes, some hard, intense strength training, it'll help. And even for those of you who are on a budget, you can still get a really phenomenal workout on just a basic gym membership mm -hmm. that's, and there's, you know, ranging from 10 to $20 a month or something yeah. like for us, um, there's a gym that we go to that's like $25 a month and we're able to get, you know, great hit workouts, lifting weights there as well. Sometimes in 30 minutes and 30 minutes. So that's really a fantastic place to start. Number six is vitamins, specifically vitamin D, C, and fish oil. So really this is supplements, I would say, but those three were called out in terms of the high ROI to the cost uh, oh, for okay, affordability. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Well, so vitamin D um, is actually it's called vitamin D, but it's a hormone. Um, it's been recently come up in the news a lot um, because of COVID. So usually people associate vitamin D with bones and bone density and vitamin D calcium combination. And yes, vitamin D helps with that. It's important for that. But um, what it really, really helps with is boosting the immune system. And generally, because we've become a mostly indoor society, especially with COVID, um, people, you know, used to work in offices all day. So you go from your home to your car or a train to your office, back to that car, back home, you're indoors, no natural light. Our vitamin D levels have plummeted that negatively affects your immune system get outside, get some sunshine. If you don't want to go buy a bottle of vitamin D supplements, some of you need to probably get your blood tested by your physician, see what your vitamin D level is. Now, for people who live in a part of the world where maybe there's fewer days of sunlight throughout the year, or maybe just, just there are there's cloudy days. It's, it's not like 365 days of, or of sunshine. Uh, 
do you, would you recommend that that person take a vitamin D supplement every day? Yes. But again, what I was just saying previously, get your blood tested. It, it comes up in a simple, you know, go for a physical exam and, and it should be one of the simple things that come up in your blood exam or ask your doctor to please test your vitamin D level and just see what it is. And then your physician will tell you whether you need to supplement or not um, and how much you need to supplement with. So um, I would absolutely do that. So that's vitamin D. And the next on that list you called out is vitamin C as being a, an affordable. Yeah. Supplement. And so, um, but I want to clarify. So for the vitamin C pills are really cheap. Um, and you know, again, if you have low vitamin C, then yeah, go ahead and do that. But ultimately the best source of vitamin C is eat some citrus fruit. I mean, that's also long and, and well-known. Um, and I think that people also, well, doesn't fruit have sugar and sugar? Yes, sugar is inherently bad. We know that, but it's also been proven. Check out Dr. Michael Greger, nutritionfacts.org. One, the vitamin C from citrus fruit is more bioavailable. So the absorption is better. You'll get more of it than you will from a pill. Two, don't just drink the juice. So don't just drink orange juice to get your vitamin C. You have to eat the orange. The reason being that the phytonutrients, phytochemicals, the pulp, the fiber that's in the, vita, in, in the piece of fruit actually blunts the effects of the fructose. Mm. So if you're just drinking the juice, you're getting your vitamin C, but you're also getting a, a punch of sugar that's gonna boost up your blood sugar level, your glucose. We don't really want that. But if you eat the whole fruit, the phytonutrients and the fiber that's in the whole fruit will blunt the effects of the fructose. You'll have a little spike, not too high of a spike. So eat the whole fruit is what I'm getting at. That's, that's the best way to get your vitamin C is to eat citrus fruit. And the third supplement that you called out as being affordable is fish oil. Yes, omega-3s, um, and also long-known benefits on omega-3s from brain health to helping the joints, um, affordable, you can, so many different brands, toxicity becomes an issue sometimes, not, not that I've ever heard of anybody getting sick, I don't mean that, but sometimes with fish oil, you know, there'll be claims of like, very low levels of mercury got in there. But I think most supplement companies today for the most part have kind of filtered that bad stuff out. So it's perfectly safe. Um, and omega-3 is really good for us. If you look up Rhonda Patrick is really good on talking about omega-3s. <laughs> Sorry, but here we go again. Walter Longo literally just today put something out um, in regard to the importance of some research on, on omega-3s. So, you know, it, it's, it's out there. It's pretty well known. Wherever you get your supplements, just make sure that you look on the label that it says good manufacturing practices, or you look on the company's website to see if that's something that they list. Since there's a lot of different companies out there and there's no like necessary, there's no standard across them that really can ensure that the quality is going to be high. So Number five is social interactions and deep connections. I know, Pete, this is one of your favorites on the list. So tell me why you put this as a health hack. 
Blue Zones, again, those centenarians have a lot of friends and they get together often and frequently with neighbors and friends for meal, to share a meal, to share a glass of wine, go to church together. They're just involved in community activities. Um, my perfect example, my mother is 87 years old, um, doesn't have call waiting, and it's kind of annoying to call her just to check in on her. And the phone is constantly busy. Like who has a busy signal today, right? But the phone is constantly busy because she's always talking to someone. And I swear that's one of the reasons why at 87, she's still going as strong as she is. Social connections. And these are in-person or social connections or maybe over the phone where you're being vulnerable, not Facebook liking someone's posts. Yeah. It's not liking posts and it's not texting as far as I know. Yes. It's like talking to people. Yeah. And I would say one thing to add to that is that we recently um, heard in a, in Sanjay Gupta's book, who is a neurosurgeon, build a better brain. His research shows that there's a relationship between decreasing your likelihood of getting dementia and these deep interactions and connections with people. And especially if you're even being vulnerable, um, like maybe you're, you're sharing something that you're vulnerable with as a way of being really good for the brain. Number four is reduce stress or slash meditation or Mm, another way of saying that is stillness. Yeah. So that leads us to Ryan Holiday's book, Stillness, which is- Stillness is the key. Stillness is the key, sorry. Stillness is the key. Awesome book. Um, The info is right there in the title. We need to slow down, especially in these, you know, maybe in other parts of the country or, you know, calmer, so to speak, parts of of Europe, perhaps, but certainly in the metropolitan areas, New York, LA, you know, it's pretty intense. Um, we need to calm down, slow down and take a deep breath and go to a local park and take your shoes off, put your feet in the grass, sit in a church pew by yourself, whatever, do yoga, um, meditate at home, but find a quiet place to be still and try your best not to think. And this, there's been other research that shows that just increases productivity. So we're not saying be still in everything you do <laughs> yeah, for the no, rest of your life. No, no. The the actual best way to be able to achieve peak performance yes. is having bouts of where you're being really active. You're in your peak state, your high energy, and then yes. you have moments Correct. of stillness, reducing your stress and your recovery period, because the only way that you can actually be that go-getter achiever and sustain that for the long term is if you take the time for yourself to be still, to recover, to meditate. Bouts of stress and rest. That's correct. Um, In a book that we read called Peak Performance Mm -hmm. by Brad Stolberg, he cites a study that was done by the Boston Consulting Group, where they actually had them intentionally take rest periods. And those consultants who were in the group where they had these intentional rest periods were more productive than the other group that did not have these intentional rest periods. So for all you achievers out there, make sure that you 
schedule if you need to, but take time for yourself to actually rest. Yeah. The human body, the human brain works better that way. It's been proven. It's been researched. It's kind of this phenomena of, or mantra, I guess it's more of a mantra of like grind all the time and I'm going to outwork you. And, you know, while you're sleeping, I'm I'm grinding. It's just foolish. I, I don't have no other way to put it. It's just foolish. You, you need, you need to rest sometimes and you need to be still and meditate and then come back better and stronger. Number three is being in nature. That could be earthing, hiking, or gardening. You just did that this morning. You went for a run at the beach, right? I did. You know, first thing in the morning, early, get that beautiful sunrise, uh, natural light from the sun, get your feet in the sand, get your feet in, little, in the cold water and breathe, just connect and be still. That's actually part of being, you're walking, but you're being still. What's the science behind why being in nature is important? Uh, um, so I'm not a, I'm still trying to get the lingo and language and, and understand this myself, but it has to do something with the earth's magnetism. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Um, and there is this earth vibration. Um, I'm not an expert on this. So doing the best that I can. Can you close that? Um with something to do with the earth's vibration and us being connected to, to the earth's vibration. And so that's sort of uh, where, where it comes from. Um, you know, who's real good at, at explaining that a little bit more if you read Ben Greenfield's book, Boundless, it's a real thick, um, almost like a, I don't know how to describe it. It's just, a, it's a really, it's a cool book, but boundless. And if you dig into that, um, Ben Greenfield covers that kind of, kind of, kind of well and interestingly. Okay. So are there other reasons why you recommend it as a health hack for being, to be in nature? Um, yeah, I think it goes back to a couple of things that we just talked about. One is being in nature helps with stillness. So it just tends to calm us down. Um, for example, there was just something that I read um, recently. And so allergies have become like this huge thing, right? Like everybody seems to have an allergy in spring and summer and enormous amounts of allergies. Like almost everyone has allergies today, but mother nature has put in place our own natural healings processes and, and medicine going again, way back to millennia. So for example, trees, and I didn't know this have put off a, a, a chemical or some sort of a, I want to say pollen, but it's probably not the right word, but that actually act as our own natural antihistamine. And so just being out in nature can actually help reduce the incidence of allergies where people think it's the other way around. Oh, if I go outside, I'm going to be exposed to all this stuff. No, we were meant to be outside. And there's these natural immune boosters that are outside when we're in nature that plants and, and trees and so forth give off. So what's given us all of these allergies is us not being exposed to that stuff. And again, spending too much time indoors. So get outside and, and be with nature. So stillness. And again, if you look at what the people in the blue zones do, the, those centenarians are not staying in their house all day. 
They're not sitting on their couch watching television. That's not how they live to 100. They're in part living to 100 because they get outside and they're active in nature, whatever that may be for them, but they're outdoors, they're not indoors. And if you live in a city, that could just mean going to a park that's in your city. There are a lot of cities now that like have parks and maybe just going outside and actually taking a walk or a couple of walks a day in your own city. But if you're someone who struggles to get a good night's sleep, then making sure you go outside during the day, and especially on days where it's sunny, but even if it's cloudy, that exposure to sunlight is going to help reset your circadian rhythm. So you're going to be able to sleep at a proper time when your body naturally wants to be able to go to sleep. And it's going to help you be able to dump melatonin when it's time time for you to actually go to sleep. Now we are on number two. Um, So practice uh, so, which is number eight, <laughs> I'm doing them backwards, uh, practice kindness, or I would also add to that practice gratitude. So I would say with practicing gratitude is if you're feeling really overwhelmed, you're feeling stressed, you're feeling fearful, practicing gratitude is going to be a way to help shift your mindset. So you're feeling in a, you're in a state where you are more appreciative. And from that state, you're no longer fearful. You're able to then do and accomplish what it is that you want to do for that day. What about for you with, with kindness? What, why is that a health hack in your mind? Connection to others. Again, um, I think we, we were, I think we were pre-programmed for love um, and to love one another. And I think the more that we practice that, the better quality of life we're going to have. All right. And the last one is cold showers or exposure to the cold. This is another one of your favorites. So it is physically, physically, and and mentally, um, mentally, I mean, for the brain, um, reduces inflammation, good for the skin, um, boosts the metabolism, boosts the immune system, um, just all kinds of really awesome health benefits. Again, the book Boundless by Ben Greenfield covers this in depth. Um, Rhonda Patrick talks about it as well. You can check her stuff out. Um, and it's like um, sleep and fasting. It's been around, you know, forever. And the health benefits of it by our ancestors have been have been known for a really long time. And it's free. Just jump in, jump in your, just while you're taking a shower, expose yourself to some cold water. And if you are in, if you're in a process right now of losing weight, there is oh, yeah. research that shows that cold exposure specifically to the point where you're shivering, that's the key. Yeah. You have to be shivering. Um, so even if it's just for like a second of shivering, then you're actually able to kickstart your body's ability to burn more fat than you would had you not been exposed to that cold. Yeah. And, and one of the ways that it does that is it activates, we haven't talked about um, hasn't come up these th- genes that we have that are called sirtuins, and there's seven of them. 
and they are our longevity genes. Um, and so exposure to extreme heat like sauna or extreme cold, like jumping in a cold lake or a cold shower or an ice bath uh, stimulates our fight or flight mechanism. So it activates the sirtuins. I think, I think particularly cert one, but I forget which exactly one of the sirtuins it activates, but it activates our fight or flight mechanism. So in this case, it is our fight and you become stronger. It's, it's called hormesis or a hormetic effect. And what that simply means is what does not kill you makes you stronger. So if you want to lose fat, uh, some rec protocols that you could do is go in the shower, turn it cold. Once you start shivering, then you get out. Or turn Don't, it back to hot. Or turn you it. Alternate it. You just yeah. Alternate it. And then wait until you, are, you know, then go back into the shower again, shiver again. You do that a couple of times. And you want to be able to do it. Maybe you do it a couple of times a week. Maybe you have a period where you do it and then maybe you stop do it if you want to use it just for fat loss, because the key is you don't want to get at least for fat loss. You don't want to get can, uh, your body so adapted to the cold stimulus that you're no longer shivering because it's the shivering part that is the key for fat loss. So let's recap our top 10 health hacks that are affordable. So wait, is it 10 to one or is it one to 10? You I wrote it 10 to, me. I wrote it 10 to one, but I didn't actually put it in that, but I'm, I just put, okay. wrote it in, a, in a, any order. So I'll read it from one to 10. So number one is fasting. Second we covered is plant-based diet. Third is sleep. Four exercise outdoors. Five supplements, specifically vitamin D, C, fish oil. Six social interactions and deep connections. Seven reduce stress, meditate, stillness. Eight be in nature. Nine practice kindness. And ten cold showers, really cold exposure. Another thing that I love about all of these is that they're so small and simple that you can stack all of these at once. There's oh, yeah. no reason that oh, yeah. you can, ha you have to pick and choose these, but certainly do. If you're overwhelmed by the idea of starting all these different habits at once, um, but certainly all of these are, are ways that you can be able to sustain them for the long term. Awesome.